0: Thanks for tuning in. This is Richard Lanford. I'm the red-headed preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ. In Skokie, we are an open and affirming congregation in the United Church of Christ. We're going through um, uh, the outgo of the blizzard. I'm not recording this on the day that you'll hear this sermon from. Um, a couple days later, after shoveling and snow blowing, uh, the sermon and the scriptures which are from 2 Corinthians 4 and Mark 9. and They are read by Barb Todd. Um, and the sermon, which is called, right out of the Epistle Lesson, The Glory of God in the Face of Jesus Christ. So it's Transfiguration Sunday, and I'm keying on the Epistle Lesson, especially in talking about where we can find God's glory um, in our difficult times of life. And it really is an issue of perception for us. And that's what I try to lift up in the message, which I hope you will enjoy. And uh, let me offer a brief prayer for us. God, you are glorious and confusing. You are mysterious. And yet you are closer than our very breathing. Bless this time as we listen even if it is in fits and starts because of interruptions. Open our ears to hear whatever you might have to say to us and open our hands that we might turn and bless others when given the opportunity. In the name of your son, we pray, amen. So here's Barb Todd.
1: Our first reading this morning is our epistle lesson. It is 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 6. Paul is talking about his preaching ministry, acknowledging that some will not receive the good news. Paul writes, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This ends the reading of the Epistle lesson. Our second and final reading is from the Gospel. This morning, it is Mark 9, verses two through nine. Mark's version of the Transfiguration. The first words you will hear are six days later. In the passage immediately before ours, Jesus had told his listeners that he would be killed and after three days rise again. He also said that any who wanted to become his followers had to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. So it is now six days after that prediction of his passion and that teaching on discipleship. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, and James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could reach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. They saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Here ends our Gospel reading and the Scripture readings for this morning's service. May God grant us a wise and generous understanding of this, word of the God of life for the life of the people of God.
2: Have you ever heard someone quote a scripture that you did not think about much or maybe know well or know at all? And then, because of how she or he said it when you heard it, it stuck with you from then on? Has that ever happened to you? I got a gift like that from Dorothy Wenzel of St. Nikolai UCC many years ago when she commented on Romans 8, beginning at verse 31. You know, what then shall we say to this? If God is for us, who is against us? Leading up to, for I am sure that neither death nor life, etc., will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord her attention to, and bringing attention to, and her affection for that passage led me to give more attention to, and grow to love it myself. Another time was before that, back at seminary. We were in chapel, and our Old Testament professor, Bernard Word Anderson, preached on today's epistle lesson. He relished declaring, for it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God to the face of Jesus Christ. I think that, minus that seminary encounter within that sermon, I would not be as enamored of this vital passage. He went on. Dr. Anderson did, just to draw it out, taking us back to the awe and power of the creation and its creator, whose speech created light. He said that same God has shown in your hearts to give light. The one who spun light into being is the same one who shines in believers' hearts. There is creation, and by faith in Christ Jesus, there is new creation in our hearts. The transcendent God, almighty God, becomes imminent, very close, like a continuous Celtic thin place by shining in our hearts. And that shining has very much to do with knowing something about glory, and Jesus. Was that a big deal? I mean, now, really. How much time do you or I spend thinking about the glory of God or, as the sermon title says right out of Corinthians, the glory of God in the face of Jesus' Christ? How relevant is it? Well, I might as well ask, how relevant is it when you or I suffer, or go through long, thankless periods of putting others first, or when we faithfully do right, but nothing ever seems to change? If those strike you, I invite you to hang with me and find out about the glory of God in the face of Jesus, the light of which the Creator shines in our What I'm opening up is not going to be true of all suffering, because anguish, pain, and injustice can have several unrelated reasons. For those with faith, though, the finding of and appreciation of this glory may be broader than we think in everyday lives. We can see various ways to apply. So, Paul writes these words to a church that has had its problems, some with lifestyle and ethics, some with theology and cliques. Nevertheless, he reminds them of what, who even, is within them. Even more importantly, he is writing from the experience of he and his fellow missionaries. Starting at verse 8, after what Barbara read, he says, we are afflicted. In every way, but not crushed. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. So he's writing about coping with significant hardship, but also, just before, about the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Is there not a connection? We get a similar up in Mark 9, excuse me, Mark 8. In the passage immediately before ours, as Barb told us in the introduction, Jesus had told his listeners that he, would be, that he would suffer and be killed and after three days rise again. He also said that any who wanted to become his followers had to deny themselves, so, take up their cross, and follow him. So now, six days after that prediction and teaching on discipleship, then comes the glory of God in the transfigured face of Jesus Christ next to Elijah, next to Elijah and Moses. There is a specific tie-in. That's why Mark wrote, six days later, he's connecting the two. There's a bridge. And so sacrifice and even grief are part of the context of glory. You don't think that was on purpose, do you? As we've been reminded, it is St. Valentine's Day. We used to always make sure to tell the youth fellowship of what the tradition is about St. Valentinus, if they did not already know. For us, it is a celebration of romantic love. Couples celebrating today might find their joy deeper than some if their history together includes a recent and tough argument which eventually expanded their understanding and appreciation of the other through reconciliation and communication. Or couples who have faced momentous difficulties together, and together they stuck them out, loyal to each other and sharing one another's burdens this day of festival may be more meaningful than some as well. The glory, if you will, of your Valentine's Day festivity shines a bit brighter because of what your relationships have experienced and come out on the other side healthier or deeper than before. That's a secular and kind of minor comparison to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, which Paul says is shining into us. We heard what Jesus told the disciples before the transfiguration event in the presence of the inside trio of Peter, James, and John. It's going to be our lectionary reading pretty soon. Once we hit Lent, you can expect to hear the Passion Prediction in Mark 8, or whichever gospel we're in. Uh, we know what is going to happen to Jesus later in his life, including the hard work that awaited him that very afternoon once they climbed back down the mountain. You know, where Paul was coming from when he wrote the Corinthians. We are crushed but not. And we are at least broadly familiar with the history of the early Christian church. A church which, by the grace of God, through persecution, persevered and grew. please allow me to back up just a bit now. The new creation of God in our hearts now shines to give the light of what we know of God's glory in Jesus' face. Glory of God in Jesus' face is the face of Jesus on Calvary's cross and in Gethsemane's garden. The face of Jesus forgiving sinners The face of Jesus, receiving the children whom the disciples thought were, he couldn't be bothered with them, and he said, let them come. The face of Jesus. The face of Jesus healing the possessed and the ill. Teaching on a mountain, resisting Satan's tests. The glory of God is in the face of Jesus transfigured, in the face of Jesus resurrected, and the face of Christ the Lamb on the throne of God in Revelations come. glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is in all of these. I suggest, God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, seen in so many people and churches in so many different ways. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ doesn't just have to be transfiguration kinds of glory. But maybe what leads up to glory too for example, in the many in different ways that it can be experienced or perceived, maybe in hindsight, there is glory in agitating nonviolently for an end to poverty, racism, voter suppression, and gang gun violence. There is glory in praying and advocating for a healthier, sustainable planet. There can be pain, but also glory in, as John L. Lewis said, getting into good trouble, necessary trouble. The glory is not just in an ultimate W or survival. It is in the sacred work itself and may be beyond the lifespan of our years. There is glory in the of those who have, and we hope will again, hammer. It. Or turn, ground turkey to make for our turn to serve at the kitchen of a just harvest. There is a kind of glory in picking up, setting up, pricing, and selling rummage to support this community of faith which declares love and justice. It's hard, dirty, seemingly endless, but a blessing in the end and therefore I believe that there is blessing and glory in the doing. There is glory among those on boards, committees, offices, and on council who serve patiently, hopefully, energetically, to see challenges go from real pains to real gains. There is glory among those who know about risk and doubt and give way to faith and love. There is glory in the faces of Sunday School students Parents and teachers who get up early to teach, to sing, to bring to class or to bring to the, the monitor those whom we pray the faith becomes their one. But you and I do not have the first three centuries of persecution and even death, which Mark and Paul's early churches did. But there are dimensions of suffering in serving God and one another. Many of these dimensions of sacrifice or denial of self carry within them, carry within the hearts of light shining, later vindication and redemption. Yes, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is not just that of the glory in overcoming hardships, trials, rejections, and even Christ's death, as I said before, with lifting up Jesus, take, receiving the children, and other great things Jesus did. But it surely has the glory, Jesus' faith does, of suffering redeemed etched firmly into them. This is, I think, is what Paul was writing about to the Corinthians. He later wrote in the same chapter, so we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure, because we look not to what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. In Mark 9, to encourage and affirm to Peter, James, and John of glory in the midst of their trials and in the future of their trials, their future trials, Jesus showed them Him as the Christ, the glorious Son of God, the divinity, the divinity with His humanity. And that lets them know, and ultimately, let Paul and Mark and Peter, James, and John, and the church throughout centuries know that there is something going on, something going on that is dusted with glory that is beyond just this moment, beyond now. I remember a video where a man talked about losing his job. Depressed and out of work for some time, he ended up doing volunteer work. This included helping at homeless shelters and, with service providers, aiding those without shelter. Ultimately, he applied for and got a new job, for which his volunteer work had provided an excellent training and qualifications. There was glory in his volunteer work, as well as in the unforeseen pleasant health. Moms in labor. Parents changing diapers. Parents driving kids and youth to soccer, hockey, basketball, or play practice. Couples in the springtime of their love and their youthful strength pledging covenant faithfulness for decades later in their winter with the rubber of in sickness and in health It's the road. Unemployed persons struggling to learn new job skills or relationship building, parents teaching their youngsters cooking or baking, reliability, how to drive, pray, or the values of good sportsmanship, plus prayer and generosity and social action. Professors teaching generations of students wondering what is getting through to whom, I could go on listing the labors that are done for the benefit of others, even when that good and often necessary deed will not be remembered. They are done in service. And sometimes they are done with good hope for the future, which may be years off and which may be undone. At times the work done for her or him, them, or a church or a school is more than a pain in the rear. Sometimes suffering of one kind or another is involved. Grit, sweat, sometimes tears and blood are part of the labors done for others for duty, for God, and for love. And when you and I go through these times of tough service, scary witnessing, another late night, and then another early morning after that late night, let us with faith remember that God may well use what we are doing or what we are doing Having to set down a sacrifice for a greater good in God's purposes. Therein is the glory just as it was one dimension of Jesus' glory. Our hardships, like those of Jesus, but on a far smaller scale, can be redemptive, surprisingly well worth it, blessing others born later whom we may never meet, shedding glory unto us. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The glory is not just in the glory. The glory is in what makes glory possible. A closing thought A vindication of our service, a sense of God's blessing on our labors and prayers, a pre-glory glory, glory, if you will, within us by the grace of God, is a treasure upon which our spirits see, if and when we receive. Yet this is not just for you, me, or St. Peter's. No, it's for you and me to let others know when Paul wrote that God shines in our hearts to give of the knowledge of the glory of God in Jesus' face, it's not just to give us to have this light of this knowledge. God has shown in our hearts, not only for us, but also to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to others. Paul has given you and me a hopeful perspective on God's sovereignty and glory for God's service, in good times and in bad, then it is upon us to share that perspective when the Spirit tells us. If Paul has given us a hopeful perspective on God's sovereignty and glory for God's service, then it is upon us. To share that perspective, what the Spirit tells us. Give the light of that knowledge. That too can be hard to do because it's new. But that is nothing compared to the glory which can come out of it. So be it. Amen.
0: Glory can be hard to find these days. I hope the message will help you in your perception of it because we are surrounded by glory, um, for those with eyes to see. Indeed, I have this great uh, bookmark with a picture of the chapel of the seminary I attended. And uh, there's a quote from a Celtic Prayers from Iona by J. Philip Newell. And this says, "I wake, I awake this morning in the presence of the holy angels of God. May heaven open wide before me above me and around me, that I may see the Christ of my love and his sunlit company in all the things of earth this day. I leave you with those words. God bless your week.